for a lot of people that don't have access to traditional banking, which is, you know, it's still part of the world's population. It means for the first time that they can receive money and send money and store money digitally and safely without having to rely on cash. So, that, you know, that that's game changing for people for the first time. But crypto also has a, a lot of, you know, really exciting use cases, how, how it works and, and what it means is you can send micro amounts of money. So, for example, if you want to send dollars or, or pounds digitally, there's a cost to doing that. And, you know, if, if you want to send 1p or 10p or 1 cent or 10 cents, that there's a cost to that. So actually, in terms of sending such transactions digitally, you lose money. And at least in the UK, you used to see shops that wouldn't accept less than five pounds or less than 10 pounds for a card payment yeah. because it costs them too high a transaction fee to accept that. Have you ever thought to yourself, what is cryptocurrency and what's all the buzz about? It can be dizzying to think about, is this the future of currency across the entire planet? Maybe it will be, but there's a lot going on with it. And I have to tell you, my guest today, Erica Stanford, does an amazing job of breaking down all things related to cryptocurrency from its very, well, potential very positive future to the scams related to it, and actually just breaking down what it is. This episode is chock full of information that you're going to take away and really do something with for the future and now. Ladies and gentlemen, Erica Stanford. I don't know a lot about cryptocurrency and all this, and I bet a lot of other people don't either. They just hear about it in the news. So I think a good starting point is just to kind of give people an idea of what is cryptocurrency and why has it kind of grown to this level of prominence right now? Yeah, so what is cryptocurrency? That's always kind of the, the toughest question. It's, it's a simple one. So crypto, it's, it's, it's digital currency that's it's secured by encryption and it's sent on blockchain. So it's a, a way that you can send either currency or value information fully digitally, but it's the first way that anyone's been able to, to manage to do it, sending currency peer to peer. So from one person to another without needing a bank account, without needing a third party. So you've got all these incredible use cases now where you can send this digital currency direct from one person to another um, without needing to, to pay for payment processes, without needing a bank. And it means that you can send really micro amounts of, of, of money that, that just wasn't possible to send before with traditional fiat currency. Right. So, but why nowadays is there such this big stir up about cryptocurrency and kind of where are we headed with it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing with crypto, it's, it's a new technology, it's a new idea. It, it only came about for the first time in 2008. So relatively, that's a brand new technology. And why it's got so big, I mean, it's, it's largely hype. Partly it's excitement about new technology, partly it's excitement about a new type of money that is, is fully decentralized and is peer to peer. But then a lot of the, the hype, I mean, you, you've got two sides of it. You've got Bitcoin, which is sort of the first cryptocurrency. It's totally groundbreaking. And you've got um, a, a lot of institutions, a lot of companies now seeing the, the value in it and, and really wanting to get involved in, in Bitcoin and, and in holding Bitcoin as a, a sort of a hedge against it, traditional fiat currency and, and thinking that it will go up in value because with Bitcoin, you've only got 21 million will ever be 
produced. So unlike with the dollar, for example, with the pound, where governments will print more and, uh, and traditional currencies such as the dollar do tend to get devalued over time. Bitcoin doesn't and, and seems to be going up in value. So you've got a lot more companies and institutions really getting excited and people like Elon Musk sort of publicly tweeting about it a lot and about Tesla investing it and so forth. But then on the other side, you've got, because it's this new type of digital money and a lot of the earlier digital currencies and cryptocurrencies have gone up in value a lot. You've got this whole hype around the ecosystem with loads of opportunists wanting to get involved and and wanting to um, sort of basically con people into thinking that, well, you know, people that invested early in Bitcoin, they made loads of money out of it. So if you invest early in our project, you'll make lots of money too. So there's been lots of new cryptocurrencies that have sort of come about trying to get onto the, the sort of the, the popularity and the, the raise in, in value that Bitcoin has had. But then you've also got loads of, of scams and, and opportunists trying to do the same and, and coming up with all these elaborate schemes and new digital currencies and Ponzi schemes and every type of thing, trying to persuade people to invest in them and just saying, well, if you do, if you invest in this, you'll do as well as if you'd invested in Bitcoin early and so forth. And then you've got loads of people falling for that. But there's been just loads and loads of hype around opportunists and everyone wanting to get involved, just thinking that it's a shiny new, sort of a shiny new toy, but a shiny new toy that's going to get up, go up loads in value really, really quickly. And that if you invest in this, you'll get rich quick. So there's been a lot of that bandied around as well. Yeah, and no, it makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of a good segue into your book and, and also to learn more about your background in cryptocurrency. What got you into this, like really exploring this? So what I first heard about crypto, cryptocurrency in, in early 2017, and just a, it was a friend that told me about it. But what had really sparked my interest in, in the potential for, for cryptocurrency, I'd, I'd lived in, in Buenos Aires in Argentina. In, in sort of a year abroad as a student in 2008. And this was during a time of economic sort of crisis there. So you had loads of people had lost all their money. The, um, the, the local currency had been completely devalued and people really didn't trust the banking system at all. So the first lesson I learned there was that people just weren't keeping their money in banks. The minute they got paid, people got paid in their local currency, the peso, and were converting that straight out into and cashing that out into euros and dollars and then keeping literal physical banknotes of, of, of foreign currency in safes in the houses instead of going to a bank. So that had stuck with me. And I traveled a lot around uh, South America and, and sort of every summer as a student, I, I went to South America and Central America and was traveling around. And one, um, one, one summer, I was, I was in Guatemala just traveling around. I think it was the summer before then. I was, I was 17 or 18 and just traveling alone and got mugged like four times in a row. Mm. And, and every card I had, every sort of card I had and all of the um, traveler's checks and, and everything I'd gone with to sort of you know, have to have a means to pay for my way had been stolen. So the only way to get money there was, was through Western Union, which is this remittance company. So I had to walk to the Western Union office and, and call my dad. I mean, this was before, before the time of iPhone. So I, I, I went right. there, called my dad. And he, um, you know, he sent me money, which was, you know, really kind of him. But to do so, he went, he had to drive into the local town where there was a Western Union branch um, in, in the UK and, and send me money. And that took three days to arrive. 
and cost 14%. So you know, that's mm. a crazy amount of money to pay for that transaction. And then you get cash. You, you, you can't get, sort of get that money digitally. They give you cash, which is basically useless in a country where you've just been mugged so many times that you've yeah. had every card and stuff. So and the last thing you want to do is carry on cash. So that was like the only way I, I, I could get money there. And, you know, for me, I was, I was traveling, I was a student, I was going back to the UK, it was just a temporary sort of inconvenience and an experience. But um, that had really stayed with me because when you, you would sort of dig a little bit into that, you realize there's 2.5 billion people estimated around the world that don't have access to traditional banking and, and don't have access to sort of the, you know, traditional finance and the banking ecosystem because basically they don't earn enough for it to be deemed worthwhile for the banks to, to serve them. So you've got like a third of the world population that can't store money digitally, that can't save money, that, that can't receive money. And if they have to send money from A to B and lots of these people you know, work remotely or work away from their families and if they want to send money home, they have to rely on these remittance companies to do so. And they, they have to pay huge amounts of their income to these remittance companies. So that, that, that they have to pay up to 30% often mm. of their total earnings just to be able to get money home to their families because you know they're working remotely or working abroad and the average is seven percent worldwide that's still a huge percent of your money to have to pay just for a transaction fee to be able to send money home and that had really stuck with me so when you hear about crypto which is just a digital currency that you can just send digitally to anyone around the world for you know what can be really really low fees and in, in micro amounts it's just game changing for a lot of people. So I heard that, and I, I could just see the potential. Uh, I could see the potential for for traveling, for sending money home, for sending money abroad, and also for these micropayments. And when you start looking into sort of the potential crypto, you've got so many potential use cases just for sending money without being charged really, really sky high fees. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible actually. How does this affect banking institutions? Has there been a lot of kickback from banks or traditional centralized uh, monetary systems to cryptocurrency? There, there, there has been two degrees, um, for sure, for, for various reasons. Um, partly you know, because it's, it, it's totally different, partly because it, it threatens them, but partly also because in the crypto ecosystem, there have been so many scams and so many problems around it. So. Uh, part of the kickback has been to sort of to try and protect citizens from being scammed or from sort of being led into the, into, into bad investments. And, you know, that, that's, that's all relatively good. But part of the kickback has been banks, for example, some of the sort of the traditional high street banks have been blocking um, people or companies from, from buying crypto or if you receive crypto transaction, they've been totally blocking that, which is, you know, it's, it's really shooting themselves in, in, in the foot because you've got so many younger people and so many people now wanting to get into that space. So these people are just leaving those banks to, to, to go to the challenger banks and the near banks that will accept it. But, you know, they, they've been doing that for various reasons. Sometimes, and, and initially it was because they saw it as bad and because maybe they didn't understand it or they didn't want the association with it because there was all the rumors that crypto was just being used in what were not just being used in crime, but was being used in crime and in money laundering and so forth. But now the, the actual statistics for the, the, the amount of, of Bitcoin and the amount of cryptocurrency used in crime is, is less percentage-wise in, in terms of its total value than, than dollar or than sort of government currency that's used in crime. So that argument doesn't really stand 
anymore mm. and, and arguably it's more traceable it's easier to track bitcoin than it is you know cash or, or, or dollars so that, that argument is is standing less and less but there, there has been a lot of kickback and now it increasingly we are seeing central banks and, and and banks looking at what they can do with with crypto and how they can work with it and you've got a whole range you've got some the the sort of the especially the newer banks and challenger banks are, are accepting crypto and letting people hold it and, uh, and are you know actively looking to see what they can learn from the crypto startups and, and what partnerships they can do and then even using things like blockchain technology to, to make certain things more secure or easier or, or more accessible and you've got others that are still totally blocking blocking all payments yeah you know what's interesting i think also about this it feels like it's the so new that i think some of the general public has a hard time wrapping their mind around terms like blockchain and cryptocurrency do you sense a resistance or an acceptance from the general public about where this is headed or what it actually means for the state of currency across the world? Yeah, I, you've got both. You've got a lot of people are still resistant and largely that's due to just not really understanding the ecosystem or because they've heard the horror stories. But more and more acceptance is, is really growing and it's growing super fast. And it's, it's especially growing amongst millennials and younger populations who are hearing about things on social media and, and want to be able to send money to each other and transact with each other without being controlled by sort of practicing governments. And what, what's really interesting with, with cryptocurrency, where you see the highest rates of, of adoption and acceptance, it's, it's not in places like the UK and the States, it's in places like Venezuela and Russia and, UK, and hmm. Ukraine, for example, when you've got um, countries where, where there's, you know, for various reasons, where you've got super high inflation or you've got total economic collapse or you've got mistrust of, of banks or of governments. So where you've got the highest adoption of, of cryptocurrency, it's not people really wanting to use crypto so much as they're seeing that they have no other choice because they've, they've got such hyperinflation or because they don't feel that they can trust the banking system. So you've got loads of people, you know, older people, people that wouldn't otherwise necessarily be looking at Bitcoin, but are, are putting their money into Bitcoin because they don't see that they've got any other choice because maybe if they hold money in their currency because of the rate of inflation, it will just get evaporated or because they want some money abroad, but they can't because there's various blocks and so forth of the national currency. So, you know, that, that is really, really interesting. And especially if you talk to millennials, you've got loads of, of, of younger people interested in crypto and looking at crypto. And, and for various reasons, partly because they think it's cool, partly because they want to learn about it, partly because they're hearing about it from their peers. But also you've got younger people saying, well, if they, if they stay with things in the status quo, they'll never be able to afford property or they don't trust the banking system or they've seen, for example, their parents lose all their money in, in, in sort of the pension funds or, or yeah. other things. So they've, they, they've seen some of the failures of, of the traditional banking system and don't trust it and don't feel that it's protecting their interests and want to have more control and autonomy of their own money. So, you know, when, when you talk about crypto with, with younger people, they're, they're really, really interested, mostly because they see it as the only way that they can be sort of financially independent. So yeah, there's acceptance is, is growing really fast. But it's, it's often led by more of a feeling of, of, of need than particularly because of interest in crypto, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I, I, don't, I don't think that that's something that the general public is aware of, that there's 
just a more global need in certain areas for crypto because of the lack of access or because of the crumbling of banking systems in different places. And I think it also leads to a discussion about, you talk about with your book, with the scams related to this. Talk a little bit about, as there's more acceptance, the scam aspect of this whole deal. Mm. Well, the, 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 you know, the scams are so brazen and are crazy. And it's, it's really sad. And it's, it, it came about largely because you've got this new technology, you've got this new potential, um, you've got this new sort of digital currencies. And, and a lot of people have made money early on. So where the scams have come about, it's really just opportunists taking advantage of the ecosystem. So on one side, you've got with, with crypto, if you store your own crypto, that, that can be quite secure, but it's quite difficult. And you've got these horror stories of people losing their sort of private keys, which is like their passwords to how the crypto was stored and not being able to access it again, or losing the computers it was stored on or throwing them away because they stopped working and, and then losing their crypto. So partly on the scam side, you've got this whole sort of infrastructure this sort of fraudulent in infrastructure has, has popped up where you've got crypto exchanges or crypto wallets saying, well, if you send us your crypto, we'll store it more securely for you and it'll be easier for you and you'll get interest or you'll get whatever discounts if you just send us your crypto and we'll store it securely for you. And it's not the cryptocurrency that, that, is, um, that, that is a scam, but it's, it's sort of these infrastructure and these sort of companies that have built on top of that basically trying to part people from their crypto because once you send a crypto transaction that you, you've sent it so you've got these different sort of exchanges and wallets just trying to con people into sending them their crypto and you know amongst all of these promises that they'll look after it more securely or that they'll get whatever benefits and then once they've got enough of people's crypto they exit scam they close down and run and disappear with their money so that's been that type of scam and then also you've got a lot of a, a lot of the crypto projects, and this is really more from the, the height, sort of from the sort of the, what, what I would call the main bull era, era from around 2016 to 2018, when you had just, it was really, really easy to create new cryptocurrencies out of thin air. The code's open source, so you can, you can just create a new cryptocurrency and, and come up with a project name and pay someone to sort of create a website and the description about it and the logo and all of that. And some of those projects and new cryptocurrencies were really good and, and raised money and have done really well for their investors. And other ones have just were either the scams from the start or, or just were total opportunists, just taking advantage of the time and how easy it was to raise money and, and lost all of their investors, all of their money. So that, there's that whole problem. And there's a statistic that an estimated 98% of those companies basically ended up losing their investors, all of their money. Yeah. But then you've got some real, like, organized crime has, has got involved. And, and not just opportunists, but, like, sort of real, like, organized criminals that have created these Ponzi schemes. And, and using multi-level marketing, bringing in the best marketers, the best sort of strategists, the best, um, you know, bringing the, the really the best criminals into putting together these, these Ponzi schemes where they make these promises like, well, if you just send us your money, just send us your Bitcoin, we'll, we'll mine Bitcoin for you and you'll get more. We'll send you your money back. Or if you just send us your Bitcoin, we've got this new digital currency and it's going to double in value. Or it's going to increase in value. Or you'll get more of it. Or if you just send us your money, we've got this trading bot for this trading algorithm. So we'll trade Bitcoin for you and you'll get X percent guaranteed profit every day. So they make these claims that are, are, are totally just thin air, 
but to get people to send them their, their Bitcoin and to send them their, their money. And there are these really elaborate, sophisticated Ponzi schemes with incredible websites and really good marketing and the best, you know, the, the best people sort of behind them, you know, the best of scammers behind them yeah. that know exactly how to get people to send them their money. So you've got, there's been a, a number of these really, really sophisticated large Ponzi schemes that have you know, raised billions of dollars each and sometimes tens of billions of dollars from their victims. Um, just because of how big they got. And they, they make these really, really good claims and promises and have these big sort of marketing infrastructures in place that just spread all around the world. And people, you know, hear the claims, they want to get rich quick. It sounds really good. Often there's a lot of lies told to get people to, to send them their money. And they're just so, so clever so that they grow really big, really fast. And I'd say that's like the biggest sort of problem in the space. And it's nothing really to do with crypto. You know, some of them, they'll claim to have a cryptocurrency, but they don't, or they'll claim to have a trading algorithm. They never have it. It's, it's just a Ponzi scheme. It's just taking advantage of people's desire to get into the crypto space. Well, how, how, do, how can people be more aware or guard against this type of scamming? And there's various levels of that. What's their best uh, defense against it? Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's so hard to say, really, because for a the scams are clever and, and you know they a lot of the things that they say could be true or, or they lose they yeah. use logos from companies that that could be real and they just make up a lot of the claims so you know i think that the first thing is you can't just trust anything a project says or can't trust anything a website says and they're, they're really good scams will sometimes make all these claims that they've got partnerships or customers or that they're regulated by so-and-so or they're going to be listed on whatever global stock exchange or that they've got such and such influencers of famous people on their team. And everything is designed so that it looks good, so that it looks like you be able to trust it, so that people do believe it. And the claims are totally fake. So the first thing is you can't trust it, whatever you see. If, if there's any claims made, if there's any website, anything that looks good, double, triple, quadruple, check it like all of the claims, check everything behind them, check all of the partnerships and so forth. If there's any claims that are promising or guaranteeing profit or return, usually it's, it's safe to, to run a mile. That's not really possible. Or, you know, in most cases, legal to make such, such claims. So be very careful of any claims made. And then also where you've got this, this structure called um, multi-level marketing, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a really clever marketing structure and in some cases it's legal in some ways it's it's legal to to sort of use this marketing level structure which pays really high commissions to people that that do the sales down sort of a pyramid sort of shape of of, of structure so that everybody gets really good rewards for bringing in new people to to buy things but it's legal if you're selling a product a real thing like vitamins or whatever it's not legal when you're just selling Venera as they are with these crypto scams but where you've got the, the biggest scams have used this multi-level marketing structure where they're paying commissions to people to bring in new investors. And I mean, it's, it's hypothetically possible that there's a multi-level marketing structure in crypto that is legal and that isn't a scam. I haven't seen one yet. Every, every time I've seen multi-level marketing crypto, it's, it's been a scam and it's being used for a Ponzi scheme. So what I would say is, is if there's anybody sort of trying to get you into invest or if there's any um, sign that there's a commission payouts, for example, to bring in new investors, 
then I, I'd, I'd say be very, very, very careful because uh, at least in every every time I've seen yes. that's been a scam. Yeah, no, that makes makes perfect sense. Uh, what do you make of uh, high level celebrities or people of uh, public prominence pushing uh, cryptocurrency? Let's say like Elon Musk and this kind of yeah, this whole yeah. thing about like Dogecoin and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's it's a really good question, and without having a black and white answers, in in some cases, and you you can't necessarily trust just because there's a celebrity pushing it that it's it's good. There have been celebrities arrested. There have been celebrities fined for promoting scams or for promoting projects that they haven't disclosed to their followers. So just because a celebrity is promoting something doesn't mean it's good. And, and not all celebrities do the due diligence. So there have right. also been celebrities that have promoted scams and you know being paid for it. And they they maybe they didn't realize it was a scam or they just didn't do enough checks. So you you do still have to be careful. And there have been celebrities punished for doing that. Um, and then also you've had several celebrities whose accounts, whose social media accounts have been hacked and have been impersonated by the scammers. So there's been mm. also scams where you've had the, the scams hack into celebrities' social media or hack into celebrities' sites and accounts and pretend to be them and, and you know, make out that, oh, you know, if you just send me your Bitcoin, the celebrity will send you back double and so forth. So that there's been a, a lot of celebrities whose names have been used to promote scams without their knowing and without it being any of their fault. And as to, of course, as soon as they find out, they'll try and stop it. So you, you have to be very, very, very careful with that because if a hacker has got into a celebrity's social media or accounts or is impersonating them, it, it's so good. There's really no way of, of telling if it's actually the celebrity or not saying that. Um, so you, you do have to be very careful. I think with the, the Elon Musk case promoting Dogecoin and promoting Bitcoin, it, it's a difficult one. Um, yeah. He's got some very valid points. Everything he said about Bitcoin is is true. You know, it, it's good to accept Bitcoin. Um, you know, Tesla have done very well out of holding Bitcoin. It's also true that um, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. So a, a lot of his tweets have, have sort of really... Um, change the markets have have made Bitcoin, for example, go go up a lot in value and crash in value, and it, it was the same for Dogecoin. So his points are true. A lot of people in the community do see it as market manipulation, and certainly his his tweets, because he's got such an influence, have really have really um, changed the the market's value a, a lot. So you know, I I do find it hard to imagine that somebody as, as clever as Elon Musk has managed to do so well out of so many companies, doesn't know what he's doing to the markets before yeah. making those tweets. So, you know, at, at, at very best, I would I would take anything like that with a pinch of salt. But, um, you know, the, there's been so many celebrities either have fallen for scams because they just haven't done the checks or that they've just been, they've been used by the scams. They've been hacked and, and their right. profiles taking over. So, you know, I, I, I would say if there's a celebrity saying something, uh, at best, take it with a very heavy pinch of salt, but at, at worst, you know, assume almost that it's a scam. Think. Let's think about this too. I want to kind of think about the maybe the the gravity of cryptocurrency. Is this, in your opinion, kind of a a, a turning point in currency and money for people in the same way that maybe Apple and smartphones were a turning point and for people for connectivity and kind of the digitalization of humanity? 
Yeah, in, in, in so many ways, it, it totally is. And, you know, for, for a hundred different reasons. I mean, the crypto opens up so many different possibilities. I mean, A, it, it opens up the, the ability to send money peer to peer from one person to another. So that gets rid of the forex fees. It gets rid of foreign transaction fees. It means you can send countries um, money internationally without without stops, without paying all the fees. Um, for a lot of people that don't have access to traditional banking, which is you know still a third of the world's population, it means for the first time that they can receive money and send money and store money digitally and safely without having to rely on cash. So that you know that that's game changing for people for the first time. But crypto also has a, a lot of you know really exciting use cases how, how it works and, and what it means is you can send micro amounts of money so for example if you want to send dollars or, or pounds digitally there's a cost to doing that and, and you know if, if you want to send 1p or 10p or one cent or 10 cents that there's a cost to that so actually in terms of sending such transactions digitally you lose money and at least in the uk you used to see shops that wouldn't accept less than five pounds or less than 10 pounds for a card payment yeah. because it costs them too high a transaction fee to accept that. Whereas with crypto and not with every cryptocurrency, but with, with some of them and certainly the way things are progressing, the, the major ones, you can send transactions almost for free. So you can send absolute micro amounts. You could send one cent digitally for almost no transaction cost and, and in live time. So that opens up a whole load of possibilities for the remittance industry, for the gig economy, but also for paying for content or yeah. they're paying for you. So every time you want to listen to your podcast, for example, you can tra transfer you, you know, one cent or you could tip somebody every time they like your tweet or whatever one cent. So it, it opens up this whole wealth of possibility for microtransactions, be that micropayments, microloans, microinsurance and so forth. So that's, you know, opens up a whole new world of possibilities also with crypto you can send enormously large transactions really relatively very cheaply and and relatively very securely so for example a, a transaction was sent recently for a billion dollars that only cost seven dollars to send and, and you just simply wow. can do that with, with government currency and, and you know it arrives quickly it arrives safely there's ways to put safety measures in place so it, it opens up so many new possibilities just on how you can use money and now with, with crypto, I mean, if you look at Bitcoin, it's, it's very volatile. So it's not necessarily the, the best thing to receive a, a salary in, for example, but you've also now got what are called stable uh, currencies or asset-backed um, digital currencies. So where it works the same way as crypto, you can send these micro amounts and you can send um, you know, money um, for free abroad or instantly and so forth. And you've got the full transparency that comes with it. So you can see exactly that you sent a payment, that it's been received, who's received and so forth. But it's in a stable currency or one that's maybe asset backed by the dollar or asset backed by another asset. So you've got that, that sort of all of the possibilities, but with the same stability as you might have with the, the US dollar, for example, but you can still send money abroad or, or money in micro amounts yeah. or, 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 and have all of that transparency with it. So yeah, it, it's totally changing how, how people look at money and, and, and opening up the world to a whole new possibility for micropayments and digital payments and peer-to-peer -peer payments that, that just simply haven't been possible with sort of you know traditional government currency. Do you see a future where kind of physical currency doesn't exist anymore because of you know coin shortages and the minerals and the things that it takes to produce physical currency? Yeah, I, I 
I totally see that. And, and when you look at what governments and, and central banks are looking at doing, a uh, priority is is basically getting rid of physical cash for for various reasons. I mean, a if you want to commit crime, it's the easiest way to do it. If you want to buy drugs or somebody, for example, whatever that is, you know, the, the easiest way to do that, to make that payment so that nobody can trace it, is to give them a sack of physical cash. Right. And and that's that's known. And and then you've also got physical cash is is easiest to to copy, to to sort of to make fake copies of. So fraud in, in physical in physical currency is a real big issue and that costs loads of money because you've got to do checks and on, on the banknotes and so so forth. And a lot of fake cash does get into circulation. That's a real known issue. And then also you've got the cost of, of producing it, not just the 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 sort of expense cost of, of producing physical notes, but there's also the environmental cost. So you have to make new right. batches every now and then, which which uses huge amounts of energy and resources. And especially for some of the sort of smaller coins, it's not what the, the coin's value isn't necessarily worth more than the metal that they're, they're produced on. Um, and then also, it, it's much harder to track physical cash. It can be, you know, it can be hidden away more and it's, it's not necessarily practical to walk around in sort of suitcases and bags. So, yeah, the, certainly when you when you hear from central banks and, and the payment processes, their number one priority is to get rid of physical cash and to have a fully digital cash system for, for, you know, for all sorts of reasons. Um, to make it more efficient, to make it more traceable, to have more data on it, to have more control over it. It makes it that they can control certain transactions. Um, you know, it can prevent fraud a lot. You, you've got a lot more information on it. So for various reasons, good and bad, uh, that, that seems to be the, the number one priority. Yeah, I, I can see a future with that. I mean, I've even talked to people where, you know, I think you're kind of getting a melding of technology um, within almost like biological technology where you know paying for things with your palm and stuff that's out there right. in 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 conjunction with digital currency it feels like we're moving to a future where we're trying to eliminate the fraud element of this and also make people's lives easier in terms mm -hmm. of being able to transfer money what's the timeline you think on something like a complete digital currency potentially um there's already central banks working on that. Facebook's been working on it for years and they've been stopped by regulators, but they've got a real potentially interesting solution just because they've got so many worldwide users. They've been working on a stable currency, which would be really interesting if it does if it does get allowed. You've got various central banks have been working on, on digital currencies. So I think, you know, I, I do imagine with, within years, um, there, there will be seeing digital pounds, digital dollars, digital euros, at least, you know, rolled out in trial form before they're rolled out sort of for, for full-time use. So I don't think that's a very long way at all already. I mean, China have been probably the most advanced in this. They've been working on their own um, national digital currency, a sort of digital yuan for, I think it's about seven years now. And they're mm. really advanced and they've been running trials in that. Um, and that's all, that's, you know, pretty much almost ready to roll out um, nationwide now. And they're, they're looking at even rolling out into, internationally. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a few factors with that. You know, there's some really scary factors with that, especially looking at the Chinese one. It gives the, the Chinese government and, and sort of central authorities scary amounts of data and, and control over their citizens. And if right. they don't like the way a you know, someone does something, 
they can effectively block that account and block their ability to spend any money. So it's linked to a sort of a social credit score there. And, and because all payments have to go through apps, they've, they've got it possible that if, you're, if you've got a lower social score, which might come from being an investigative journalist or facing the wrong way, whatever that is, yeah. they can block your ability to book a train ticket or to send your kids to certain schools, which you know I find absolutely terrifying. Sure. But the, the technology is out there. But I, I think part of the race for central banks and companies to uh, and countries, sorry, to, to look at launching their own fully digital currency, you know, in, in part that's led by their own wanting to have a digital currency for all the reasons we've discussed. But I think also it is driven because China are so advanced in this and Facebook has become so advanced in this and have, you know, Facebook have 2.8 billion users. That's more than any other country worldwide. So there's almost sort of a pressure on them to, to not be too left behind. Let's make this a little bit, and I'm thinking about this and I'm really thinking about, okay, thinking for, you know, a person and they're thinking about, okay, what would my bank account look like? based off of currently, let's say I look at my bank account online and I see I have a certain amount of money in my checking account. What does that become if it moves to cryptocurrency? Just kind of give people an idea of like what that switch might look like for them. It, it, it could be almost exactly the same. And, and with, hmm. with cryptocurrency in, in the earlier days, the, the user experience, it was really difficult to, to use crypto and you had to enter these really long, complicated addresses to send transactions to and you know it wasn't an easy thing to use or to send and there were all these issues but now you've got all of these startups and companies working on creating the, the user experience for crypto and you've got paypal involved you've got some of the challenger banks involved so it, it, it's now if you want to send crypto via paypal you can do so if you want to accept crypto via paypal you can do so and some of the challenger banks now accept it as well and and what you can now do with crypto one of the newer possibilities that's coming out is is like a naming service so you you can send cryptocurrency to a name that you have saved so i could i could send it to you or you could send it to me you know at erica basically if that's what the the name i get and that's the address that you've got for me so you've got all of these sort of customer customer experiences and user experiences that are being developed so that, that it's, it's getting better and better and easier and easier and, and more clear. And you've got these crypto wallets now where you can see exactly how much what currency you've got in your wallet and how much each of those have, have gone up in value or gone down in value. And, you know, do you want to make this payment? Do you want to send $1 worth of this? Or do you want to send, you know, $1 worth of that or receive this and that? So the, 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 the user experience is, is improving really, really, really quickly. Mm. And I, I think there's so much focus on user experience I, I do think, you know, it, it's just sort of a race, a race to the bottom of who develops the best user experience quicker. But what is interesting is if you look at the, the traditional banks, so sort of the traditional high street banks, the apps they've got and the user experience they've got is, is really bad. Like the, the user experience is yeah. really, really difficult to use them. It's a horrible user experience. It's, you know, almost non-existent customer service. And, you know, if they've got apps at all. Um, you know, and you've got some people who still go into the physical banks, whereas with the, the sort of the newer challenger banks, you've got all these apps, it works really well. If you've got a problem, you pull them up, they sort it out for you. It just works much more seamlessly. And, and you've got those sort of the crypto companies competing with those and even people leaving those firms to now work in the crypto companies on user experience. So, you know, I, I, I think in a matter of 
already we're seeing it, but it's not going to be long before the, the user experience of, of crypto is certainly better than traditional banks and yeah. and you know will we'll be will be very similar if not aligned with with the, the neo challenger banks wow this is an, this is incredible actually it feels like when i kind of discovered you and your book and everything going on i was like man i got to get educated on this and i have friends we talk about this stuff and so this is really amazing and chock full of amazing information about cryptocurrency and all angles for that. Before we wrap up here, I would, I'd love for you to just kind of promote your book a little bit, chat about that, where people Amazing. get the whole deal. You know? Yeah. So the, the book is, is called uh, Crypto Wars, Fake Deaths, Missing Billions and Industry Disruption. It's all about all of the biggest hacks and scams in crypto. It's got some of the, you know, the craziest stories you know, involving disappearing people and, and the biggest Ponzo schemes and just some of the sort of the worst stories giving an overview of the you know, the earlier days and the sort of the worst of the ecosystem of crypto. But, you know, I hope that in reading it, A, yes, people will hear the sort of the, the worst stories and be entertained and, and yeah. learn a lot about that and get an overview of the crypto ecosystem, but also just get a better idea of how it all came about, you know, how it all happened, but also see now some of the, the cool stuff that's happening in, in crypto and, and where it's going now. Awesome. So hopefully it's a light and entertaining, easy read. That was the design. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, this was enlightening, uh, this podcast, learning about it. I mean, I know so many people have heard of cryptocurrency, but they don't have the knowledge like you have about this and the, the, the deeper understandings of it. And so um, that's my aim always is to educate the listener on things they, they maybe just don't know about. And uh, you certainly have done that. So thank you for being yeah. on, Erica. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much for having me on. Really grateful. Nice yeah. to speak to you. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's our second time speaking. So I look forward to staying in touch and, uh, and getting this out there uh, to yeah, have definitely. other people listen to it. So thank you again and have a great day. Thank you so much. Nice to see you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.